0: Let me again say good morning and welcome. Happy Father's Day to my fellow dads out there. Kids, great job on the video. It was like cuteness overload. Well done. We are still in the series in Isaiah and today we're going to be in the 12th chapter of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 12. So turn in your Bibles or turn on your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 12. Kids get your notes there. Get, Get ready. Um, we, I made the comment last week that Isaiah chapter 12 is pretty cool. It's you in the future. It's future you. If you are a Christian, if you are a blood-bought, born-again child of God, if you've been saved and ransomed and redeemed, then Isaiah is looking way off into the future, way off into our future, and he sees the day when Jesus sets up his kingdom fully. He says, here's the song you're going to be singing here's what you're gonna sing here's what you're gonna say so Isaiah 12 is looking in on the videotape of you in the future and we don't know when that day is but when that day comes when Jesus returns sets up his kingdom this is what you're gonna say this is what you're gonna sing so we looked at the first half of that song last week We're at the second half this week and I just want to say one word about um, I do recognize that uh, we're in chapter 12 <clears throat> I recognize that Isaiah has 66 chapters And we've been in this a while, and we're just at 12. And so just to, um, some of you are wondering, are we going to be in Isaiah until like 2027? And no, 2025. So, no, I'm kidding. We we will be able to move more quickly through uh, some of the remaining, uh, some of the rest of the chapters. But 1 through 12 give you an overview of what the whole book is about. So, let's read the whole song again. It's not long. It's six verses. You will say in that day. When Jesus sets up his kingdom and all is made well, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. you may recall a few weeks ago and it, I think it bears repeating one, to me one of the most helpful ways to read Isaiah and this will not only help you with the book Isaiah but with a lot of the ancient prophets is think of mountains and mountain ranges do you remember this it's like the prophet is looking off into the future and what he sees is one massive mountain but as you travel through time, as you imagine seeing a mountain way off on the horizon, as you drive 100 miles you realize it's actually a series of mountain ranges, a series of mountain peaks. You come to the first mountain, ah, and then you drive 100 miles more and you see there was a second mountain taller than the first, but it, okay. And then 100 miles more there's an even taller mountain, but I see from way back here on the horizon it looks like one mountain that's helpful because as you're reading Isaiah you sometimes wonder why does he go from like he'll prophesy something that's gonna happen in like 50 years and then in the next breath like in the next verse he'll say something that's not gonna happen for like 700 more years and then in the very next verse he'll say something that's not gonna happen for thousands and thousands of years and he says it all as if it's one mountain because from his perspective he's seeing the future one mountain We're traveling through it, and though he was, in a way, inspired by the Holy Spirit, so in a way he has the advantage, in another way, we've seen some of these prophecies and how they've been fulfilled as we've walked through history. So today, we're going to look at the final three mountains. In all of history, the third highest mountaintop. This is, guys, this is the praise song from the, like, new heaven, new earth, everything's set up, the kingdom. This is awesome. What are we going to sing? The third highest mountain. The, the second high is that is that me talking to myself through the monitors this is so meta it's like the matrix we're gonna look so if you're a note taker first highest mountain uh, sorry third highest mountain then the penultimate mountain then the ultimate mountain in human history so if you're a note taker and you don't have like a device you're typing but you actually have pen and paper I want you to draw this kids you ready Give me three mountaintops, but make sure you do one, then do the second one a little bigger, then the third one the biggest of all. Got it? So we're going to talk about the third highest mountaintop in all of human history, then the second highest mountaintop in all of human history, then the goal, the telos, the the end result, the, uh, the utter zenith of time and eternity, the point of everything, the highest mountaintop of all eternity. Sound good? Here's the first one. The first one comes from verses 3 and 4. With joy you will draw waters from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name. Give thanks for what? Because though you are angry, your anger turns away. So the third highest mountain, small, medium, large, right? But big, bigger, biggest. The the, the third highest mountain is your personal salvation. Salvation. This goes, this dips into some teaching we did last week. You have to understand that, like, It goes back to verse 1. I will give thanks because I was an enemy of God and he rescued me. He saved me, a sinner. So the third highest mountain is personal salvation. Now, if you look at this, you call upon his name, you give thanks. He saved me. There's some of you that might think, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're telling me that personal salvation, the salvation of a lost sinner, transferred from death to life, darkness to light, You're telling me that that's not the highest? That's not even the runner-up? That's the third highest? Yes. Whoa, 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 whoa. I thought getting a lost sinner saved, nothing could be higher than that. And I, I know what you mean. I agree with that. But listen, listen. Your personal salvation is awesome. It's glorious. What God did to rescue, so, so good. And I'm here to tell you, there's still even more it's even better let me say it. To, uh, how do I say it? Um, if you're not careful <laughs> there's a subtle danger that creeps in and I, I've been a Southern Baptist my whole life and I, I don't think it's just our denomination but there's this subtle danger that creeps in where you almost start to think that getting someone saved is like a box you check and that's it that is su- that becomes the telos the goal the ultimate purpose Uh, And so if you're not careful, every Sunday the the sermon is, so get saved, and the next Sunday, so get saved, next Sunday, get saved, and you got people that have been saved for like 20 years here, get saved, it's like, okay, what's next, and so the only thing that's next is, well, are you sure you're saved, (laughs) right, let's do it again, so there's more, I would say it this way, the gospel is not less than your personal salvation don't misunderstand me the fact that a human being gets saved is incredibly glorious the gospel is not less than your personal salvation but it's so much more the gospel is not less than your personal salvation but it's so much more when sometimes I'm preaching at a youth camp and I'll give an altar call or an invitation young people will come forward they'll they'll receive Christ as Lord and Savior they'll find me afterward and you "Ah, you know Pastor Tom you know Tim here, accepted Christ and I in this great. And I always say, I'm so happy for you. That is awesome. I rejoice with you. This is like baby steps on an incredible journey. I specifically use that analogy because I want to know, I want them to know the best is still out there. This thing called discipleship, walking with Jesus? Are you kidding? This is not the end, this is the beginning. Think of it this way for you who are parents, there's all these physical milestones that you want your kid to cross. When when he takes his first steps, are you like, check, he can walk now. Parenting done. No! You would say, well, yeah, of course he takes his first steps, but there's, that's to lead to all these other exciting things. So, if personal salvation is not the greatest thing that could possibly happen, like, what's next? As it, impossible as it sounds, it gets better still. The second highest mountaintop, the first is personal salvation. Th- th- sorry, the third highest mountaintop is personal salvation. Then the, the runner-up, the penultimate, comes in the Next verse. And you will say in that day, make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord for he's done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. So so the second highest mountain is leading someone else to Christ. Is leading someone else to Christ. If the, if, if the third highest mountain is personal salvation, the one just beyond that, a little taller, leading someone else to Christ. Look at these verses. You, someone has drunk deeply from the wells of salvation, right? They're filled up on God. They're so excited about God's glory and they're so blown away by his worship, w- by worship of him. Worship grows into witness. Worship grows into witness. That's what we see here. Sing praises and let it be known through all the earth. We see this over and over in Isaiah. In fact, this happened to Isaiah in his own life. He tells you in his little autobiography, he tells you about his call narrative in chapter 6. Do you remember this? He tells you how it happened to him, how he got called to missions. How did it happen? Worship. He has this vision in the temple, and he sees that the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth. He's so blown away. He, he thinks, I'm undone. I'm a, I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the people of unclean lips. Then the angel takes the... with the tongs and puts it on his lips says your sins atoned for he has this incredible experience of worshiping God he catches a glimpse of the glory of God so when God says whom shall I send and who will go for us what does Isaiah say here am I send me worship grows into witness And when you think about that sharing Christ with somebody leading somebody to Christ witnessing evangelism are you like me I mean, there's a few of you, when you hear evangelism, sharing your faith with others, you get fired up, and you're doing this, you're great at it, you make it look so easy. For the rest of us, <laughs> when you hear witness, share, am I the only one? I hear that, and I feel guilt. I think, yeah, i got to be better about that. Yeah, I should be more bold. I need to be better about witnessing. Oh, I feel that guilt. Is that what we see here? What is the motive for missions? And technically this isn't missions, this is missions mobilization because you're saying to other people, make his deeds known in all the earth. So you become a missions mobilizer. But at any rate, is is this guilt? Is this what we see? Is this beating people over the head? Is this, hey, y'all, you really need to tell other people about Jesus? Come on. I I know you might not want to, but like he saved you, so the least you could do would be to like join his marketing team. At least go out there and help publicize a little bit. It's the least you can do to try to pay him back. Is that what we see? No, we see singing evangelists. People who are filled with worship. They're, they're so touched by the glory of God. They, they sense his immensity and they see that he's worthy of all worship and praise. And that motivates them to missions. Worship grows into witness. I, 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 the best way to illustrate perhaps, I can turn... I can turn every single kid in our neighborhood into an evangelist. And you know what an evangelist is, right? An evangelist is just someone who tells the good news. And all I have to do is let it slip that me and one of, maybe the dad across the street, my neighbor, are, um, are will, for a few minutes anyway, we're willing to play with the kids. Now, now, there's always a game of capture the flag going on or flag football or something, but when the dads join in. I I, I know we're in a very unique window of life. I don't know what age. Those of you with older children, you can help me kind of write the script on this and see when this ends. But we're in a spot right now where when the dads play, it's like a a, a game of flag football is fun, but when the dads play, transcendent, right? They're willing to be all-time quarterback. and if we let it slip, okay guys, for like a limited time only, I'll get off the couch and like we'll play. What? Are you serious? They immediately bolt. You can watch them scatter throughout the neighborhood. Guys, the dads are willing to play. The dads are willing to play. They're not mad at us. They're not angry, right? They're, they're here. They're willing to play with us. Go, go get it, right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what excuse someone will get. Yeah, I want to, like, play iPad. Put down the iPad. You can play that any time. This is iDad. This is, they're, they're going to play with us. It's going to be incredibly. Uh, oh, oh, well, I don't know the rules. We will teach you the rules. I'm not very good. Just come. We need warm bodies. Don't you understand? Right? They're pleading, they're imploring, because they know the the goodness of all this. Y'all, we have a heavenly Father who in Christ reconciled sinners to himself to tell the world God is not holding their trespasses against them. We can go tell the world, God's not mad at us. You can be saved in Jesus Christ. Come today. Come. You see that? There's this this worship-fueled mission. I want to remind, I hope that this stirs something in your heart that reminds you of your own call to be a missionary. You say, well, I was never called to be a missionary. Yes, you were. If you were saved, you were given a calling to be a missionary. I'm not talking about the missions offering of Lottie Moon or the missions offering of Annie Armstrong. I'm talking about the missions offering of your life. To be made known to all the peoples throughout all the earth. How, because he's worthy. How? How worthy, sing praises to the Lord. How, let me ask you something. How worthy is our God? Let me ask it this way. How big of a choir does God deserve? Hmm? You ever go to like a, a, a homecoming or I, I do some revivals sometimes and they'll do, you ever seen one of these mass choirs? It's not just one choir. They'll go out to all these other churches. They'll bring all the choirs and they'll put together a mass choir. Why? Because this is this is a special occasion we need a choir worthy of this okay how big of a choir does the Holy One of Israel deserve does he not deserve praise from the whole earth does he not deserve praise from every tribe tongue nation and language is he not worthy of that much praise That's missions. We do missions because he deserves worship from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. We do missions because God Almighty deserves the praise of a billion Muslims who right now are robbing him of worship of the glory that's due his name. As John Piper says, missions exist because somewhere true worship doesn't. Missions exist because somewhere in the world, true worship doesn't. As we go to the ends of the earth, to do what? To show that he's, been, he's done gloriously. Let this be made known. A couple things. One, I hope this reminds you of your call to missions. And two, I hope it stirs some young person's heart right here that God's calling you to the foreign mission field. Sometimes you read these reports, you hear about the decline of this, the decline of that. Oh, not as many missionaries, not as many clergy. All I don't believe it. I just don't believe it. God's continuing to move and to stir, and he's going to touch a heart, maybe even right here in this room. And You say, well, you know, you know this. If, your mission field is where he has planted you. Do you understand? He wants a witness. Y'all, he deserves to tell about his glory, catch a vision, drink deep from the wells of salvation, and tell about his glory all around the world. Your mission field's wherever he puts you, from Honduras to Holly Pond, from Southeast Asia a walmart (laughs) he wants a witness everywhere third highest mountaintop personal salvation the second highest mountaintop is leading someone else to christ so what's the highest at the end of all things we're going to sing this song what is the what is the zenith of time and eternity what is all of history pointing to verse six shout And sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion. Zion is uh, just another name for Jerusalem. Here, uh, uh, the prophet is imagining all the ingathering of God's people. And he speaks to them as if they're one person. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. That, the highest mountaintop. This verse, and I believe the entire story of the Bible turns our assumptions about religion on its head. Most people think religion is basically figure out God, figure out what God wants, and then do the right things or believe the right things so that one day we can float off and go to heaven and be with him. And the Bible says, eh, nope. The storyline of the Bible is to show us the prophecy Isaiah is trying to say. The point of all things is not about how humans get to live with God, but Isaiah 12, 6, how God gets to dwell with us. So the, th- the highest mountaintop of all is what I call God's homecoming. God's homecoming. Personal salvation, leading others to Christ, and having the Holy One of Israel dwell in our midst. This is the extraordinary promise, which I believe starts in Genesis 1 and reaches its climax in Revelation 21, 22. This is about how God, the whole, the whole narrative arc of Scripture about how God desires to dwell with his people so that he will be their God and they will be his people. The point of Christianity is not about leaving this earth and floating off to some ethereal heaven, but a new heaven, new earth in which God can dwell with his holy inhabitants who are like him, who worship him in perfect fellowship. That's the whole narrative arc of Scripture. And in closing, I would like to walk us through that. I would like to walk through Genesis all the way to Revelation in just a few minutes you remember Genesis Genesis 1 in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Day one, he said, let there be light. He separated light from darkness. Day two, he separated water from water. Day three, he pulled back the water and made the land. Day four, he began filling what he made on one, two, three. Day four, he fills the sky with the sun, moon, stars. Day five, he fills the the fish in the sea and the birds in the air. And Day six, he puts the vegetation, the growing things, the living things, the animals and the humans. Day seven, he rests. And there the humans are in a temple-like paradise. Heaven meets earth. And God does what? In Genesis 3, God walks in the garden in the cool of the day. God, he is their God. And Adam and Eve are his people. God is dwelling with man. And it's beautiful. And it's perfect. And it's exactly what he designed. Until what? Until that fateful day when Humans decided, we don't want to dwell with you. We don't want you to dwell with us. And they eat from the forbidden fruit. They rebel against God. God kicks them out of the garden. Why? Because God doesn't want to dwell with humans? No. Because humans cannot be in the presence of a holy God. We'll be burned up, we'll be consumed because of our sin. And so the whole rest of Scripture tells the story about how God's God, he has not given up on that program. He has not given up on that goal, that God will dwell with man, and that he will be their God, and that we will be his people. And you see in Genesis what God does. He takes a family, and from that family, he calls them out, and he begins this rescue program. And 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 the family gets enslaved in Egypt, you remember this, and in bondage, and with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, God gets them out of slavery, out of... Egypt, and that's the Exodus. But then, why did he pull him out of Exodus? Exodus, why did he pull him out of Egypt? You realize, Exodus is 40 chapters, and getting out of Egypt is only the first 14. In the remaining chapters, what do we see? What's the whole rest of Exodus about? Is the point that God's going to save, that God's going to deliver, or there's more? It's more than personal salvation. It's more than deliverance of a people. The whole rest of Exodus is about what? The tabernacle. It's about the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God among men. Here's how to do it, and here's how to do it right, and here's how to do it correctly, and here God's going to dwell with the people. Now, if you're going to have God dwell in your midst, if you're going to be the tabernacle-bearing people of God, this is the Holy One of Israel, you better have some strict health and safety regulations if you're going to deal with the Holy One of Israel, and that's Leviticus. Leviticus is OSHA regulations on how to deal with the Holy God. Occupational safety and health? Anyone? Nope. Leviticus are these laws that are laid down. Okay, this is, this is what it means to be a set-apart people. And Israel finds out what all of us at one point or another have found out. It might be easier not to have God dwell in our midst. Wouldn't it be easier to have a God who's far away that we could sort of, you know, uh, 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 you know Sunday we'll check in and we'll give a little offering. You, you do your thing, I'll do my thing. God won't have it. He wants to dwell in their midst. They build a temple. And and there's there's offerings and there's sacrifices. And once a year, the high priest can go through this great veil that separates the holy of holies. There, he can be in the presence of God only but once a year. God dwelling with the people. Isaiah prophesies that Assyria and Babylon will come because of Israel's sin. They go after idols. Remember the golden calf and the judges and the downward spiral. Isaiah prophesies that Assyria and Babylon will come. Sure enough, Babylon comes, takes the people in exile. The temple's destroyed. Has God given up on us? Does he not want to dwell with us anymore? No, they, they get to come out of exile. We'll see that later. Isaiah prophesies, predicts they'll come out of exile. They rebuild Ezra, think Ezra, and Nehemiah, they rebuild they the say they re- rebuild the temple. And when they rebuild the temple, now? Now is God gonna dwell? If you read Ezra, it says when they rebuilt the temple, a lot of people clapped, but the old timers, they cried. They wept. Because they remembered what it was supposed to be, and they had heard all these visions about how God's gonna dwell with people, and this, this isn't it. Isn't it? And they go through these prophets, and now there's 400 years of silence. Has God given up on His plan to dwell with His people? Is Isaiah 12:6 not going to come true? Then what? Then these four men wrote a biography of a young Jewish prophet. Their names were Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they say that this was no ordinary prophet. They say that this was God dwelling with men. They each do it in their own way. Mark, they they cite these passages about the temple and they cite these passages about how he's coming to dwell and they ascribe those verses to this Jesus of Nazareth. John does it the most explicitly when when he says in the first chapter of John, and the word became flesh and, what, tabernacled among us. Your version may say dwelt, or it may say tabernacled. The Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. We've seen His glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus is how God is going to be able to dwell with His people. Again, you know, He grew up, He lived a sinless life. And then he died a sinner's death on the cross for you and for me. And there, at his death, you remember this? In Mark, even at his death, we see what's happening. God is breaking through. He, he cries out on the cross. He breathed his last. And when he breathed his last, you remember this? The curtain of the temple, it separated the presence of God. The curtain of the temple was ripped from top to bottom as if God was saying, well, we won't be needing this anymore because why because Jesus is alive he's now in our midst in fact after the resurrection he shows up at John 20 in the upper room he sees his disciples and look at the bottom Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them peace be with you and then at Pentecost you know he creates for himself a people he breathes on them the Holy Spirit so that so that look at first Corinthians don't you know that you yourselves as in y'all y'all plural (laughs) are God's temple And that God's spirit does what? Dwells in your midst. Right now, God is abiding with his people by the Holy Spirit. But there's coming a day. At the end of all things. Just like Isaiah in the Old Testament, there was a prophet in the New Testament named John who was allowed to look into the future. And at the end of the Bible, look at what John sees in Revelation 21. Now. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he, which is something that's been planned all the way back in Genesis. And he, which was his heartbeat from the beginning, and he at long last, and he finally, and he at infinite cost. It cost the death of the only begotten son. But now he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people. God Himself will be with them and be their God. That's the highest mountaintop in all of human history. That's where this whole thing's going. to have God dwell in our midst. Do you know what it costs for a holy God to be able to dwell with redeemed people? You know what it costs, don't you, Christian? You know, it wasn't an offering you could bring. It wasn't the blood of a goat or a lamb the only begotten Son had to stretch out His arms and die for us and our salvation so that that verse can be our future. Isaiah 12, 6 can be true, that that's, co- that's what's coming. A new heaven, new earth and God will be. There won't even, you look, John looks around and goes, man, this is beautiful. New heaven, new earth is awesome. If all this is so glorious, I can't wait to see the temple. He says, yeah, th- there's not one because the glory of the Lord fills every square inch of this place. I'm dwelling in your midst. You don't have to come meet with me. I'm just here in perfect fellowship, a restored and renewed Eden. Mm. There was a, a Christian song that came out when I was in college by third day, and it was called Love Song, and it's an oldie, but I love this one. He, it, the writer of the song imagines Jesus saying this to people, and he's imagining like all these cheesy love songs, you know, like, like oh, you know, what? What a guy would do for a girl and all this romance. He'd climb this mountain and walk across the sea and all this stuff. The problem is they never do it. They never follow through. And this is as if Jesus is writing this to his people. He says, I've heard it said that a man would climb a mountain just to be with the one he loves. Well, how many times has he broken that promise? It's never been done. Well, I've never climbed the highest mountain. But I walked that hill to Calvary just to be with you. I'd do anything, there's no price I would not pay just to be with you, I'd give anything. I would give my life away. And that's what He did for you and for me. So that God would dwell with us, He would be our God, and we would be His people. Let's pray. God. Grant that if anyone is hearing my voice in this room or online right now that does not know you, that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would see your glory and your goodness, they would know that you love them, that you are not angry at them nor holding their trespasses against them because of Christ. So save today, God. And I pray for those who are believers that there would be a fresh spark for missions this day wherever they find themselves, to tell of your deeds that you have done gloriously. And Lord, I pray that we would begin to have a foretaste of glory divine, that we would dwell with you, that we would walk with you, that we would live with you, God, that we may taste what's coming in full measure. We may get a little appetizer now of what it's like to walk with you and to dwell with you and abide with you every day this week. Grant us this. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Next week, our sermon will be in the white space following Isaiah 12 that comes before I'm just kidding. We'll move more quickly through the rest of these. I'm so glad you are here, and I uh, pray that you receive him if you don't know him. I pray you tell others about him if you do, and I pray you dwell with him every day this week. We have, oh, we have some exciting news. In the 9 a.m., excuse me, in the 8 a.m. service and the 9 a.m. service, thank you, Pastor BJ, we uh, uh, have uh, new members who are joining, and today it's Brian and Pamela Jackson uh, but this service is even better because this is the service where they are here in the flesh. I saw them. There they are. Give everybody a wave there. That's Brian and Pamela. Here's the, yeah. Here's the photo of the happy couple. They, uh, Scott has had a chance to meet with them, Pastor Scott. And they are certain of their salvation, born again. Both baptized by immersion. And they're coming to unite with Coleman First Baptist by letter from Union Chapel Baptist Church. They've moved here. And we are so excited, and not only excited uh, that we get to vote them in, but get to have them here in our service. Now, I long for the day when we can come and give handshakes and hugs, and we will do that. We will set that up um, today. Obviously, you know, we can't do that, but uh, uh, I'm so excited for you and grateful for this step of faith that you two are making. So all that remains is um, for Uh, In in pandemic voting, you know, we're doing this kind of in every service. It's for the uh, members to uh, vote in, existing members. And I realize if you're watching this online and you want to vote, I want you to type your vote. Type, praise the Lord. Okay, so you just type it in. And uh, here we go. So if you uh, rejoice with your pastoral staff in welcoming Brian and Pamela Jackson into the full membership and fellowship of Coleman First Baptist Church, raise your hand or type your vote and say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. An overwhelming majority there. God bless you. We welcome you into our membership here at Coleman First Staff. Pastor BJ will have our benediction slash offertory. Thanks so much, Pastor Tom. Would you stand at your feet all across the room? We'll have our benediction uh, offertory uh, here. To my right, your left, you're going to notice these three exits here. Uh, each of those exits, you're going to see a little offering box there if you need that. I know many of us give online, but we'll make that available to you. We hope you have a great week. Happy Father's Day. Our thoughts and prayers go out to the many people whose fathers have gone on to be with the Lord, grandparents and things like that. We know it can be uh, an emotional day, so we uh, pray for you and love you. And our benediction will come from Numbers chapter 6. It says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And all God's people said, Amen. We love you. Have a great week.